0: Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is Episode 9, entitled Relationship Goals, Your Private Instructor, Part 2. This episode will be the second in my Relationship Goals series, which focuses on improving the parent's relationship with crucial entities in your young artist's life. Episode 8 and 9 both detail the importance of the relationship with the private instructor. But in Episode 9, we will be devoted to talking about common conflicts surrounding trust, expectations, and the ins and outs of switching studios. I wrote this second part about the instructors with a lot of input from fellow teachers. I really appreciate the candor I received from them, and has stirred up some very raw emotions for a lot of us. Often in advanced training, we as teachers find ourselves entering into some conflict with parents in the studio, and there is rarely an easy solution. But at the heart of it, we all care about the student. Most of the issues I believe we face are actually due to lack of understanding, and I feel really strongly about this. We all need to work together if we're responsible for helping these creative kids reach their dreams. And so working together and modeling thoughtful and respectful decisions is a gift to them that will pay off for years to come. I'm hoping that by sharing some of my thoughts, as well as some thoughts from my colleagues, that it will offer a necessary window into the lives of a teacher. By pairing that with my newfound perspective as a studio parent, I believe we can find common ground and hopefully spark some empathy for one another. If we strive to achieve this together, the sky is the limit for these kids. So let's get started. One of the main things that came up over and over again when I spoke with my musical colleagues recently was the issue of trust with parents. And this seems to be a multi-layered issue. Most relationships rely on trust, right? Your relationship with your teacher is no different. So how does trust enter into your private lessons? Well, to me, it enters right as you decide the teacher you want your child to work with. And I take this very seriously. When I do trial lessons, I recommend they finish all of their trial lessons scheduled, even if they seem sure that they want to begin at my studio that very day. I want them to feel very secure in their decision to begin work with me, and it means a lot to me that they're entrusting their child's violent education with me. I also know that there will be bumps along the way, so it helps to be able to have a solid foundation from the beginning. When I spoke to other teachers about the subject of trust, they had a lot to say. It is very common in the upper levels to have parents not fully understand your methods of teaching or your reasonings, around repertoire choice, explanations of high-level techniques, or even advice about practice. Every virtuosic teacher I know has been teaching long enough to have tried and true methods for building technique and working through the repertoire. While the beginning levels might be possible for parents to follow and understand, the upper levels of teaching become very complex unless parents have a background in music I have absolutely no expectation that they will know what I'm talking about past a certain point. And that's okay. I'm quite sure my parents know volumes of things that I know nothing about, and I would have no advice for them on those matters either. This is really where trust comes in, and it's generally why we hire anyone. But sometimes fear, I think, sets in and makes parents feel the need to figure things out in their own way, Maybe a technique is taking too long to develop. This happens a lot. Certain techniques are harder than others and will need to be built very carefully. And then every child has a few techniques that are just a bit harder for them personally. Out of fear, I believe some parents will then turn to one another or even to YouTube for solutions suspecting that something is, for lack of a better word, off. Most times, nothing is off. It just is taking a little longer than they expected. And maybe their experience with their kids so far in life is that they pick up on everything super quickly, but music is revealing that not everything can be attained that way. This is actually good, but it sets off alarm bells in their head. Talk to your teacher if you're feeling this way. They can help and they might be relieved that you brought it up rather than you going down the rabbit hole of negative thoughts. Sometimes we forget to mention that certain things will be a longer project and others will come quickly. So when you remind us of this, it helps us to become more clear. In my experience, parents need to know that certain aspects of practice may not seem relevant at first glance, but if they're assigned, they should be done period. Parents may think something else might need attention because of something they've read or heard from another. While I might want to tackle that item later on the list, a teacher could know that that item on the worry list will settle on its own if they do A, B, and C first. This has happened so much in my studio I have lost count. Parents understandably will fixate on the thing they understand more. But it might not be strategic to do that at that moment. This is where a teacher's experience can come in very handy. Some advanced technique and pedagogy will go past the nuts and bolts and it starts to be about how the hands work together or apart or how working on one technique will affect another which is already in progress. If you do things out of order, you'll have to circle back and redo things, which is frustrating for everyone. It's hard to explain this to a parent who has never experienced it in their own training. So even though I've tried, it always comes down to trust. I, along with the teachers I talk to, also have had major trust issues with parents regarding strategic repertoire selection, even choosing tempos, or stylistic choices. I've even been questioned on how I was reading a score, all by parents with no musical backgrounds, but I'm assuming with the best of intentions for their children. If your teacher has an excellent track record, with auditions, performances, results in competitions, carries a great degree and pedigree along with them, there's no reason not to trust them completely with the process every time you go against them or question them out loud, your child is internalizing this and now they don't know who they should trust and they need to trust their teacher. This is crucial to them. So your trust leads to theirs and paves the road to success. Let's take this one step further and talk about how trust can be applied to practice. I've given out explicit advice for my students on practice sometimes only to have parents step in and rewrite it. While I appreciate the willingness to help with practice, said practice item will then inevitably come back to the studio needing work. The exact work I have already assigned. This halts progress and it just confuses the student. A child should already trust their parents so they will try and do as you ask. So parents shouldn't override a teacher's practice plans in favor of what they think might be effective or what they understand. With no background in music or with the specific instrument, this is madness. I can't really say it any other way, and I promised you the real talk. There's no teacher on earth that would ask your child to sacrifice their time working a certain way unless they were certain it would be effective. This is why you hired us. Doing anything other than that is destructive to your child's progress. And it is entirely destructive to your relationship with your teacher, both for you and your child. I know it's a leap of faith for some to do things that might not immediately seem logical. But keep in mind that this is usually just due to a lack of background. It's not a leap of faith to trust your teacher in your child's work. It's a decision that you already made the day you hired them. A tacit agreement and one you need to keep. If you can't keep it, you aren't going to be in their studio very long because you won't be able to sustain a healthy relationship with them. Remember in my practice episodes when I admitted to you that even I didn't understand certain things Ava was being asked to do? I thought silently, hmm, I wonder why he wants her to do that. But we did it. And then eventually it became very clear why that exercise needed to be done. And I was so glad I did it. I could have asked him, but I wanted him to know that I trusted him. And that's me with my music degrees and background in teaching and performing. I trusted him and she thrived. If I get anything across to parents today, it is to repeat one sentence from episode one. The role of the observer is vastly underrated in advanced training. Because guess what? It did feel like a trust exercise at times. But when I felt those things, I took a breath and I pulled myself back to my initial decision to hire him. This is why he's here for Ava and I intend to let him do his job. I trust him. Since we're talking about practice time, let's talk just for a moment about how your support around prioritizing practice time impacts your relationship with the teacher. I try and advise parents and children about how much practice time they will need to achieve certain things that I assign each week. As specific as I am, I don't know how it's achieved with each family until they show up the following week. And the thing is, As teachers, we all have tried and true methods that we've tested on countless children of varying degrees of talent over many, many years. So as a teacher, I will know if they haven't done what I've asked because I know what that would look like and what it would sound like. If I ask a child about practice suspecting that they haven't made time and find out that the schedule is so packed Violin didn't really stand a chance, This will have an effect after a while on my relationship with a parent. This is why I wrote the episode on overscheduling. If they have come to me usually with goals in hand, I can't reach those goals with your kid without practice getting done. 9 out of 10 kids cannot be expected to keep their practice commitments without some sort of hand-holding, but also the schedule needs to allow for it. I immediately have a better relationship with parents who I see are making efforts to carve out that time so that their child can get in good, productive work. It shows me that they value my time and my teaching and that they want to see it get put to work. It immediately infuses my teaching with more enthusiasm when I see teamwork happening in this way. One other concern that I found a lot in common with other teachers was about the competitive behavior in parents these days. We're going to have an entire podcast on competitions and behaviors surrounding them, but I'm going to take just a minute to tell you how teachers really feel about competitive parents versus parents who support not only their kids, but the other kids in the studio as well. Competitive behavior in studios can really erode teacher and parent relationships fast. I've had a lot of conversations over the years about competitive parents and it can be really damaging to the teachers and the studios as a whole. If we become aware that you're making comparisons and causing stress to other parents because of a competitive attitude you might have, it can become a deal breaker for us. I've even asked someone to leave the studio for this reason. A certain amount of competitive edge is useful, of course, but comparisons are never helpful between young artists. It takes away the benefits they stand to gain from having a sense of community. Every kid progresses a bit differently. My own students knew their studio mates were their top competition locally most of the time. And they were friends. We scheduled home concerts and events for them to bond over in an attempt to help them root not just for themselves, but for one another. But when the parents were not supportive of this environment, it kind of put us down a very twisty path. A good teacher will try and create a rich environment which has a sense of community between students, knowing that they will all have their time to shine. Results in competition with very fine players competing tend to come down to judges' personal preferences anyhow. So the best thing you can teach your kid is to be in competition with themselves, to be trying to be a better version of their last performance. In a previous episode, I advised parents to identify other parents they can relate to and feel a healthy supportive vibe with so that they can nurture those relationships. I also advised them to identify parents who are more competitive and whose conversational style sounds more like a fishing expedition, and then to avoid them. I'm bringing this up now because if you're hanging out with the parents who are seen to be competitive, your teacher could get the wrong idea about you. This could affect your relationship. Just keep in mind as a parent that if you are revealed to a teacher to be someone who is only out for yourself and not supportive of other students in the studio, you will be damaging your relationship possibly forever because the teachers I know never care about just one student. We care about all of them very deeply and are rooting for them to all find success. So here's some ways that you can show your teacher that you're supportive of everyone in the studio. One simple thing that you can do is to show up when other students are performing. So for example, if there is a master class and another student from your studio is playing, Make room in your schedule to attend. You can do this for many reasons. It will obviously be educational for your kid, but it also models supportive behavior toward their classmates for them. Students learn from each other and watching each other perform. If your child doesn't make the finals of something, but another one does, attend the live final round and root for them. It will go a long way with your teacher when they see this and it sends a great message to your kid that they might not be chosen every time and that this is life, but that they can still move past that and root for someone else this time because next year, it might be them. As a teacher, I love parents who show me that they know one result is not the end of the world, whether it be a result from seeding or a result from an audition or a competition. When they're older, these will just be blips on the screen. What will matter are the experiences that they have and what they gained from each of them. Now, as promised, I'm going to get into the ins and outs of switching studios. I received multiple requests from parents on this one, so I really hope this is helpful to everyone involved. When there are multiple conflicts, Sometimes our time with a teacher does need to come to an end. I know how hard this topic is for some of you, and it is for me too. I've seen wonderful students come and go in my studio, and while many have gone on beautiful terms, a few have not been quite so seamless in their transition. Every big teacher sees students come and go every year, and it becomes more routine as the years go by. But in most cases, it would be beneficial for the student to have a healthy departure so that they can maintain a relationship for years to come. The music world is incredibly small and teachers will serve on juries and be part of artistic boards and larger institutions as your child heads into their adult career. My own former teacher, Jody Gatwood, is an excellent example of this. He's now a trusted mentor for me, in large part because my parents had a healthy relationship with him. So if you're considering leaving a studio, I advise you to first schedule a meeting to discuss your concerns. It is best to do this because it serves to give notice to your teacher that you are unhappy about certain aspects of the training or that you just think it might be time to move on. In some cases, I think this can actually help save the relationship, and a student can stay in that studio a bit longer if the parent and teacher are able to reach a greater understanding of goals and approaches. I've had this happen in my studio several times over the years. With busy prep and training, sometimes feelings get muddled, and airing them out can help people come back together and start anew. Many teachers I spoke to indicated that the most hurtful departures though were ones where the child was actually thriving, coming out on top in auditions, and that there was no real sign of trouble. They suspected that because they were doing so well, the parents thought it was time for the next level of training and that they should leave. It was good for me to talk to these teachers because this has happened in my studio as well and has left me bewildered. If a child is thriving and doing well in performance and competition, it generally isn't the right time to move them. You will encounter a multitude of adjustments which will halt progress as you start somewhere new. This goes against parents' desires to reach new levels. Some students really suffer adjusting to a new teaching style or approach. And at these stages of learning, any change should be really well thought through but let's say it is already a done deal for you and it really might be time to move on. If you've had that initial conversation with your teacher airing some concerns, it won't come as a complete surprise and it will help you maintain the relationship for the future. It is customary to give some notice before leaving as your departure also signifies a change in income for them and their families. They may choose to open your slot as available for a new student. While this might feel awkward to continue lessons during this period, I encourage it in most cases so that, there's a t- so that there's time to say a proper goodbye and have everyone feel adjusted to this big change. I've had several students leave in this way and I'm easily in contact with all of them. I think it's helpful for me to say to you that while I may not have initially agreed with some of their decisions to leave, I couldn't fault them at the time for making their own choices, and they managed to transition very respectfully. I know that this was hard for them, and it was hard for me too, but their child benefited from how we ended things, and I really believe it's worth it. Another thing I've advised parents to do over the years is to try to allow for that trial period of lessons with new teachers to take place after you've given notice to your current teacher. I think parents forget that teachers all know one another and this can be disastrous for your kid. You should not be studying with your current teacher while you're trying out new teachers, especially if your current teacher has no idea that you're looking for someone new. I have received so many emails back and forth with other teachers informing each other about departures or requests for trial lessons. This is not something that ever goes unnoticed. And I've actually received emails from other teachers suggesting I never accept a specific family because they have entered and exited so many studios in short time and with poor etiquette, almost like blacklisting, yikes. Nobody likes being yanked around, and the teaching community at the higher level is actually quite small. Many of us have known each other for a very long time, and we do look out for one another. We all wish to be given the opportunity to work with wonderful talent and appreciative families, but every single one of us has had some sour experiences too that have left us feeling used and a bit discarded. Once you have successfully left a studio and have begun work with a new teacher, it's best to continue to give moments of appreciation through the occasional email or credit on your biographies to your teachers in the past. They deserve this acknowledgement, and by the time your child is an adult, they will have had at least a few major teachers they can attribute their success to, not just their current one. Many teachers who work with you at the pre-college level will have spent more time with your child than any others, so this gesture will be one which is always appreciated, and it allows some of us to reflect warmly on our time together. While each teacher may have a new approach, and often they really will at the higher levels, there will be many teachers who have nurtured your child's gifts bit by bit over the years. We're going to end today's podcast with things that make me feel closer to parents and children and which then in turn affect my work with them or relationships with them for the long term. It turns out I had these things in common with almost every teacher I spoke to. So if you're looking for ways to nurture your relationship with your teacher, this list is for you. Here we go. I have had wonderful parents bring me tea when I'm sick or a meal when I'm super busy doing recordings. This has always brought a smile to my face, and it makes me feel very appreciated. Also, parents have remembered my birthday with presents or even just a simple handmade card. This is so wonderful because as teachers, we generally do not take birthdays off. But they are still special days, so it's nice to have them recognized. I have had many of my studio families be very caring and lovely with my children. This means the world to me since my studio was at my home and in my personal space with my family always present. Some parents have managed to really make my day when they send a text after a particularly beautiful lesson thanking me. And many parents over the years have been absolutely wonderful in coming to my own concerts with their kids and supporting me in my solo career. I've also received lovely and sometimes very funny letters from kids while they're at camp And I receive emails from kids in college now. It makes me feel so happy to know that they're thinking about me and wanted to just pop in and say hi. These are just a few things. Life gets busy sometimes, but simple, small things can really bring warmth into this relationship. And as I said, it's a relationship that you want to aim to keep for years to come. I've also had the joy of seeing my former students marry and have families of their own. I have many former students on Facebook now, and I get to see them succeeding in life with or without violin. And I know that I was a part of their life for a long time. Some of my former students are now attending Ava's concerts, and so we're able to reminisce and laugh over so many happy lessons together. I hope this has given you some new things to think about regarding your relationship with your private instructor. I'm positive that when you apply these ideas to your relationship around your studies, that you will see an uptick, not just in your child's progress, but also in everyone's happiness in general. Happy people work better. Your relationship with your private instructor should be prioritized as a lifelong connection. From teacher to mentor to audience member, your private instructor's role can evolve many times over, offering countless beautiful moments and opportunities of support for your young artist. Our next episode will focus on competitions. This is a topic many of you have written to me about, and I'm looking forward to sharing some ideas and tips that I have from my years of teaching and competing and judging. So don't miss it. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at Podcast at gmail.com. And let's connect.